Blessings, which points to Thanksgiving, followed quickly by a Christmas song. You know, Thanksgiving this week is going to flow very quickly into the Christmas season. In fact, I know that some of you are already decorating for Christmas. Now, supposedly, this is the most wonderful time of the year, with kids jingle belling and everyone telling you, Be of good cheer. On top of this, it's the hap- happiest time of the year, unless you are stressed out, or unless you have turmoil in your family, or if you're grieving the loss of a loved one. If you fit in that category of dealing with one of those challenges, you probably don't really appreciate being told, hey, you should be of good cheer. The holidays can be very, very difficult. There's a doctor named Cheryl Resinas who wrote that patients become more depressed about their illnesses around the holidays because they're unable to spend time with loved ones. Sick people this time of year become even sicker, if you will. Many other people with depression dread the holidays because of the holiday to-do list. You have to buy presents. You have to decorate your house. You have to make holiday cookies for the kids. 
There are parties. You have to entertain guests. And this can all be an incredibly stressful time of year. She says that culturally, we might feel that there's pressure to do more. The end of November into December, people have less time for themselves because they're spending free time doing everything else. Another doctor named Amy Alexander, who's also a professor of psychiatry at Stanford University, she has said that you add that stress to the emotionally taxing gatherings with family and unrealistic expectations of holiday cheer, and the most joyful time of the year can actually be a triggering effect for many of us. And I believe these two doctors really hit the nail on the head. That during the holiday season, busyness is amplified. Our schedules get filled with many things. Many of those things are things we really want to do, but sometimes those things that fill our schedules are more of obligations that we feel like we must do. During the holidays, there can be a pressure to spend beyond what we can afford. A couple of years ago, there was a survey put out by SunTrust Bank that showed that 69% of adults would happily give up gift exchanges if their family and friends would agree to do the same. During the holidays, there are vast quantities of food that call our name. And we overeat. And then we feel uncomfortable or discouraged or even embarrassed about the results of our overeating. During the holidays, also grief is more acute. There's a greater longing for the people who are no longer with us. Family traditions may not feel quite the same. And the empty chair screams louder during the holidays. Compounding all this, you have advertisements during the holidays that are constantly reminding us of all that we don't have, but that we could have if we spend enough money. And then you have social media that tempts us to compare our imperfect lives with other people's highlight reels. So, how are you doing doing here during the holiday season? I know that some of you are super excited, and that's great. But for some of you, this holiday season is challenging, to say the least, that you could, or if you wish that you could, fast forward 40 or 50 days and just skip right past it all. But this holiday survival guide series recognizes that we don't have the ability to fast forward past it all. And in fact, God gives us the means to not only survive through the holiday season, but to really thrive in it and beyond. I invite you to turn your Bibles this morning to Psalm 42. Psalm 42 is a lament psalm. Now, we, we focused on the topic of lamenting during the Sacred Sorrow series for a couple of months this fall, and the topics we're looking at today are similar to that series. They will sound kind of familiar if you're here for that. But then we're going to apply these topics to the holiday season. So I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to dig into Psalm 42. Our Father, during this holiday season, There are many things for which to be thankful. But we also recognize that there are many challenges, that this season brings up feelings and emotions and memories that are not all that pleasant. And Lord, I pray that as we open the scripture this morning, that you will teach us how we can handle those things well. And also, Lord, open our eyes to how we can praise you in the midst of this season. No matter whether our hearts are rejoicing already, or whether our hearts are a little heavier. Lord, please move us to a place of praise, because you are worthy. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So I invite you to follow along in your Bibles as I read Psalm 42. The psalmist says, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. While, I, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with a throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. So this passage depicts for us a season of sadness. We've already noted how the holidays, Thanksgiving and Christmas season, can be a season of sadness. And here the psalmist is also experiencing a season of sadness. Now, verse 1 of, of Psalm 42 says, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. Now, don't let this first verse deceive you. There can be a tempta temptation to look at that verse and think, Oh, that sounds so peaceful and so calm. And this feeling of peacefulness and calmness is perpetuated by Christian artwork that shows a happy little deer drinking from a happy little stream with Psalm 42 verse 1 superimposed over the top of it. But this is not a happy or peaceful feeling here in the psalm. And in fact, you think about a deer. Why would a deer be panting? You know, the only times the deer is going to be panting are one, when it's dying of thirst, and secondly, when it's been running from danger. You know, there are a lot of deer around right now that are probably panting. They're running from danger. But, but these are the times the deer would be panting. A, a deer does not pant when everything is peaceful and calm and going well for it. So Psalm 42, it begins with this picture of desperation. And then the rest of the psalm outlines what this desperation or the struggle, this heartache looks like in real life. First of all, we see that in a time of desperation or struggle or a season of sadness, there are sorrowful tears. Verse 3 says, My tears have been my food day and night. So there are sorrowful tears. On top of this, there are bittersweet memories. In verse 4, the psalmist says, These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. So the psalmist here is, rec is recalling happy times in the past, times of festivals in Jerusalem, times of great joy, times of being with special people and celebrating God. But he says those times are no more. 
And I think about how during the holidays, it's so easy to get nostalgic about times from the past. You know, those special memories, those events that we wish we could relive, those special people who are no longer here. You know, I think about myself. There's a part of me that misses that magical feeling of Christmas Eve and Christmas morning where my biggest care is how long it is till we open gifts. I miss that magical feeling. I miss Christmas afternoon at my grandparents' farmhouse with like 18 people squeezing into the little living room with that prickly cedar tree and a mountain of, of gifts. And how afterwards, I mean, you have chaos in there. And afterwards, we have a paper fight uh, with all the, the wrapping paper. I miss that. You know, I, I miss my grandmas. I miss my grandpas. And as you think about the holidays for yourself, you probably have people that you miss as well. You have special memories that there's that part of you that wishes that you could rewind the clock and go experience those times again. Maybe simpler times. Or just those special times that, that are near and dear to your heart. But the reality is we can't rewind the clock. We cherish those memories. But those memories also may have a little hint of sadness because of what is no longer. So the memories may be a bit bittersweet, like the psalmist is experiencing here. The psalmist is also experiencing a downcast soul. He says in verse 5, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? On top of this, there are feelings of isolation. Verse 6, he says, My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Now, if you aren't familiar with the geography of Israel, this verse may not make that much sense for you. Let me explain. These three locations that the psalmist mentions are up in northern Israel, but the temple where these festivals were is down in southern Israel. And so there's a geographical distance that makes him feel isolated. He feels like he's far from God, far from the temple, far from the people of God. And I think about how during the holiday season, we also can experience feelings of isolation. Whether it's feeling just lonely or left out. Or maybe it's that we do have that literal geographical distance that, that just separates us from family gatherings or from special places. There can be a feeling of isolation during the holiday season. Also, we see here in the psalm uncertainty about the future. He feels lost. Verse 7, the psalmist says, Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. In the midst of, of just this emotional turmoil or difficult circumstances, the psalmist says, it kind of feels like I'm drowning here. And he knows in his mind that God is faithful. He says so in verse 8. Yet he also says, I say to my God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? He's struggling here. And if you resonate with any of these emotions and experiences the psalmist is talking about here in, this, in, in Psalm 42, know that the holiday survival guide, especially this part of it, is for you. A really beautiful thing about lament psalms is they meet us right where we are. In the midst of our struggles and our heartache and our pain, lament psalms meet us right where we are. But they don't want to leave us where we are. They want to help us to process through those emotions, but then to move us to a place of trusting and praising God. And so we see here in Psalm 42 a prescription 
for renewed hope. And that prescription in the season of sadness is praise. Look with me to verse 5. Psalmist says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Now, when a deer is dying of thirst, that deer knows exactly where, what he needs or she needs. They need water. Now, when we are going through sorrow, when we're going through sadness, when we're in a difficult season, do we know what we really need? And what we really need in those times is God. There's a man named Augustine. He was a, a church leader back in the early church, I mean, many, many centuries ago. And he said of God, he said, you have made us for yourself, O Lord. And our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. We are made for God. The psalmist recognizes that. He turns to God. Yet for us, when we're going through sorrow and sadness and just struggling, it's so easy to turn elsewhere besides God for comfort. We turn to coping mechanisms during the holiday season when there's a lot of stress. A common coping mechanism is food. We eat. It's called stress eating. And it's nice for a while until we don't like it. But we turn to coping mechanisms. And there are all kinds of other coping mechanisms throughout the year. I mean, porn or Netflix or Amazon or Facebook. It's quite amazing how the internet provides so many coping mechanisms for us. And maybe for you, your coping mechanism is busyness. That when you're feeling a little emptiness inside of you, you just work harder. You get yourself busier in the hopes that your activities will give you a sense of validation. We have to remember that you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. So when you are downcast or restless, what your heart really needs is God. Prescription for praise. Why are you downcast, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Now, the reason that we get downcast is because of circumstances. Circumstances that are not going the way that we want them to go. Circumstances that in some way or another are less than ideal. But the psalmist here recognizes there is something greater that he can lean on than his circumstances. And that greater thing is God. Let me give you an illustration by showing you a picture of our new stairs out in front of the church. You know, we're going through this big building project. We have three ways of entering the main entrance when it all gets done. And one of them is down these stairs. Now, these stairs have a deep foundation. You can see the hole there in that picture and then building the structure up from the ground. The reason these stairs have such a deep foundation is that they stay in place. You know, think about sidewalks. If you've been around sidewalks much, you know that sidewalks, they'll go up, they'll go down, depending on the frost, depending on um, tree, tree roots underneath. All kinds of factors can cause sidewalks to go up and down. And the reason is that sidewalks typically are only a few inches deep in terms of the concrete. They don't have a deep foundation. They go up, they go down. But for these stairs, it would cause major problems if they were just going up and down along with the sidewalks around them, going up and down and stuff like that. So we, we designed these stairs so they have a deep foundation. These stairs will not move because of that deep foundation. And our circumstances can be kind of like the sidewalks. They just go up and down. But 
we have a deeper foundation that we can lean on besides just something that's fairly shallow and superficial like circumstances. We can lean on God who is a solid foundation, who we can lean on, who is secure, who is trustworthy, even the trials of life. And so we can trust in God. When we're downcast, when we're restless, our heart needs God. And the psalmist here is talking to himself. He says, why are you downcast, O my soul? He's talking to himself. And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. So he's calling his attention back to God, this deep foundation that he can lean on. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Now, this is a refrain that's repeated a couple times here. It's repeated again in the next psalm. He's talking to himself. He's reminding himself of who God is and how in the midst of difficult circumstances, he can still trust and rejoice in God. Timothy Keller, a pastor up in New York City, reflecting on, this, on, on Psalm 42, it said, we may hear our hearts say it's hopeless, but we should argue back. You know, Satan is called the father of lies. Satan is going to be our, uh, lying to us. Our doubts and our insecurities inside of us may be telling us lies about ourselves or our circumstances. On top of this, we live in a broken world that's going to just make things hard for us and polarize off God. But we may hear our hearts say that it's hopeless, but we should argue back with the character and the promises of God. That is a firm foundation that we can lean on. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a pastor in England in the mid-1900s, he said something very similar. He said, have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Because we listen to ourselves, we listen to our insecurities and our doubts, we listen to our, our, our complaints about difficult circumstances, our anxieties. We listen to those things and, and we let those things shape us. When in fact, like the psalmist is doing in, verse, in, in chapter 42, we should be talking to ourselves, reminding ourselves of the character and the promises of God. That's why you can say, hope in God, for I shall again praise him my salvation, and my God. So we need to be constantly reminding ourselves of God's praiseworthy qualities. And in verse 5, it says, I shall praise him. Shall means that he knows that he will. It's a promise. It's guaranteed. He's confident that he will praise him. And it will happen. There's no question about it in his mind. How can he say this? He can say this because he knows who God is. He knows that God is trustworthy. So we see here this prescription for praise. And, and one of the things to understand about praise is that praise is a choice. It's a choice that's in response to God that changes our perspective. He says, I shall praise him. He's going to praise God. Praise is a choice in response to God that changes our perspective. Let's, let's, let's kind of uh, unpack this for a minute. It's a choice. Now, praise can be spontaneous, and it can be an emotional response to something. But also, praise is a choice. For instance, if you have a child or grandchild who does something good, say does something really good at school, you have a choice of whether to praise him or her. I mean, you can just kind of ignore the good thing that happened. 
Or you can choose to respond with a form of praise. Praise is a way of affirming someone, a way of responding to, hey, well done, good job, that's, that's praiseworthy. And just like we have a choice of whether to respond with praise to a child who does something well, we have a choice when we recognize God in his goodness and his faithfulness, we have a choice. Are we going to respond with praise? Or are we just going to kind of ignore that and continue to lament our circumstances? It's a choice. Also, praise is a response. At its core, praise is always a response to God who initiates, and then we respond. You think about Thanksgiving. I mean, Thanksgiving is about giving thanks, but in many ways, giving thanks is a form of praise. We look at our lives, we, we, we recognize the blessings in our lives, and we respond by giving thanks and praise to God for the blessings. It's a response. Or you think about Christmas time. Praise at Christmas time is a response. We look and see what God did by sending his son into this world 2,000 years ago to redeem us. And then we respond with praise. Whether it's on the horizontal level of praising other humans or on the vertical level of praising God, praise is always a response. On top of this, praise changes our perspective. When we have difficult circumstances, our temptation is to get zoomed in on those circumstances, and that's why we get anxious, and that's why we get stressed, and that's why we get upset about things and complain. But praise changes our focus. It doesn't always change the circumstances, but it changes the way we interpret the circumstances because praise reminds us that we have a God who is trustworthy and who is good. And yes, the circumstances may still be hard, but we can, we can have greater sense of peace because we can trust God. Now, let's be clear that just because this is a prescription for praise during a season of sadness, it doesn't mean that we should ignore the grief or the sadness or the pain. You know, praise doesn't ignore the difficult feelings. What it does is just put them in a perspective. I, I love this quote from Pastor John Piper. He said that occasionally we should weep deeply over the life we hoped would be. Grieve the losses and feel the pain. Then wash your face, trust God, and embrace the life that he's given you. I think this is a good picture of, you know what, don't minimize those challenges and that pain. Feel it. Grieve. Lament. But then recognize that we still have a life to live, and we have a God who is good. Therefore, wash your face and get up and embrace the life that God has given you and embrace the fact that he is faithful and he is trustworthy. Your circumstances and your problems, even during this holiday season, they are real. But God is bigger. So you can say to yourself as you argue back against those those feelings of doubt and that anxiety, you can argue back and say to yourself, I'm not a prisoner of my problems and I'm not a slave of my circumstances. God has a bigger plan. Therefore, I can trust him. And so praise is a prescription. This holiday season and every holiday season and really throughout our lives. So let me give a few practical ways that we can live out this prescription of praise. One way during Thanksgiving is to make a list of the things we're thankful for. And make it a big list. I mean, we heard from the kids earlier that you could have almost an infinitely long list of things that you are thankful for. It might be helpful to literally write those things down. 
Because when we are anxious and when we are upset about circumstances, what ends up happening is that we don't focus on the things we're thankful for. We focus on the things that we wish were different. But there's something amazing about gratitude that pushes anxiety and frustration to the side. And so make a list of the things you're thankful for. And even think about, why am I thankful for those things? And then tell God that you're thankful for those things. That is a form of thanksgiving and of praise. Now, you've probably figured out this holiday survival guide series. It unashamedly combines Thanksgiving and Christmas together. We've seen that this morning in, in music and in video. Now, in the spirit of kind of combining Thanksgiving and Christmas, I want to show another video that just helps us to realize how much we have to be thankful to God for. So take a look at this. I'm alive! I'm alive! Yeah? Yeah! Oh, yeah! Hey, Christine! You're here too! I love you! I know! Dad, what's happening? Honey, the power works! It's coming, it goes on and off! Whatever we want! <laughs> We've got clean water! Oh, that's great. Look at that. Ooh. I bet I know what this does. Bring down the glorious water. Ah, shoes. Oh, what do we got here, guys? Food. Mm, I love food. A big thing? You want to have work? This is awesome. It's hard not to smile during that, isn't it? But to be reminded of all the things that we take for granted, but we have to be thankful for. And so during this Thanksgiving season, a way to live out this prescription of praise is to think about all the things we're thankful for, why we're thankful for them, and to tell God about that. And then zooming ahead to Christmas. How do we live out a heart of praise in Christmas? You know, I think a big part of praise is standing in awe of something, especially staying in awe of what God has done for us. I mean, in, in Christmas then, let yourself be amazed by the incarnation. The incarnation is God becoming flesh. I mean, it's, it's completely awe-inspiring to think about the God of the universe who created everything, stepping off his heavenly throne, coming into this world in such humble circumstances, in anonymity, um, in, a little, in a stable, born as a baby, I mean, the God of the universe. And then he came, not just to be a good moral teacher or something like that, but he came, ultimately died on the cross. That should inspire awe and praise. I mean, a practical action step is to take time during this holiday season and sometime to read Luke chapters 1 and 2. Maybe just spend some time to read them all the way through. That's the account 
of, of the circumstances around the birth of Jesus. And note all the instances of praise taking place in Luke chapters 1 and 2. I mean, don't only focus on the familiar people like Mary and the angels and the shepherds. I mean, they're certainly praising. But focus on the people you may not be quite as familiar with. Zechariah and Elizabeth, or Simeon and Anna, and the praise. These are normal, everyday people who, who were living lives. They had their challenges. They had their stressors. They had their plans for the future. Then God broke in, changed things radically, and their response was praise. So take time to focus in on, on, just, on, on how amazing it is that God became flesh. And hear what I said, take time. We started the series with the topic of margin, of making sure that we are not getting so busy that we miss out on, on what's most important. It's important when it comes to amazement and awe. Because it's hard to be amazed by something if we don't have time for that thing. If we're just rushing through life, I mean, you've heard the phrase, stop and smell the roses. Why don't people stop and smell the roses? They're too busy. So take time this holiday season. Build in margin. Stop and smell the roses. But, but and that's a metaphor for focus in on God and the reasons that we have to be thankful and to praise him. God did something amazing and when we think about the, the birth of Christ that moved the people back then to praise and it should move us to praise as well. So why are you downcast, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Now, there's going to be a lot during this holiday season that's going to remind you of what you don't have or what you miss or what you wish is different. But if you're not practicing praise during this holiday season, you're going to end up missing the reason for the season. And you're going to end up missing the joy and the hope that's available for you from God. Now, we're going to close our service today by singing two songs. And these songs are designed to meet us where we are and move us to a place of praise. So let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that you do want to meet us where we are. You met us where we are through Jesus. You came, uh, you sent Jesus into this world in human form to meet us right where we are in order to redeem us. We thank you, Lord, that in our daily lives, even during this holiday season, when we face challenges and trials, you want to meet us where we are, but not keep us there but move us to a place of praise. Even as our circumstances may still be challenging, Lord, I pray that during this holiday season that you will give us a focus on you and a peace and a trust and even a joy that comes from you and you alone. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen.